to the newest, latest, and greatest edition of the Cyclone Slant podcast. I am Travis Hines. I am joined by Ian Murphy. We both work for the Ames Tribune, and we're here to talk some Iowa State basketball today. Ian, are you excited, intrigued? What's what's your feelings going into this podcast? I'm just very excited to learn that I still work here. Yeah, it's a, it's a surprising feeling every morning, isn't it? Um so yeah, let's. There's kind of a lot to dig into on the men's side and the women's side, but we're gonna start um, with the men. I don't really know where to start exactly since we haven't done a podcast since they beat uh, number three Kansas in Allen Fieldhouse, nor since they uh, lost at the Irwin Center to last place in the Big Twelve, Texas, uh, in uh, rather poor fashion. I guess would be the best way to put it, uh, given that start to the game. Um, so let's let's kind of blend them together. I think, you know, so much what we've talked about this Iowa State team, you know, dating back in, to Thanksgiving when they played in Orlando and struggled against Indiana State, looked good against Miami, looked good for 18 minutes against Gonzaga, and, you know, so on and so forth for the last two-plus months is the, the inconsistencies of this team. You know, they can look fantastic. I said uh, I liken them to Mario with a star, or they can look uh, downright bad, which I at one point likened to little Mario. I've, I've got a lot of uh, video game metaphors in this year. Um, it's a good year for you. Yeah, it really is. I don't know if it's good for anybody else, but it's good <laughs> for me, and that's all I particularly care about. But it's, I think it's got to be frustrating if you're Steve Prohm. I'm certainly... Uh, thinking it's frustrating if you are someone who is listening to this podcast because presumably you're a fan of the uh, the Iowa State Cyclones. And it's been a difficult year for a lot of reasons. And I think we've seen Iowa State teams deal with inconsistencies in the past, certainly under Fred Hoiberg. Uh, you know, they dealt with inconsistencies from, you know, the losses at Texas Tech where that were inexplicable to the, to the run to end 2015 where they were down by double digits and I think five, six straight games. Um, which was no big deal as they ran to the NCAA or to the Big 12 tournament title, only to then get knocked off by UAB in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Um, so this this isn't necessarily a new phenomenon for Iowa State, and I think it's certainly not a new phenomenon for the group, the core of this team, which you know is made up of Monte Morris, Nazmi Trulong, and Matt Thomas, who were a part of all these teams, and you know were you know, on three of the five last NCAA tournament teams, um, and presumably uh, the four of six should they uh, be able to close it out this year. Um, but I think it's a different breed of inconsistency than we've seen in the past because I think the lows are becoming lower and they're bec- they're coming more frequent uh, than maybe we've seen in the past. And, and the highs are just as high, I think. You know, they, they hadn't won in Kansas at Kansas in 12 years, um, you know they they've played really tough at Baylor when Baylor was number two in the country, I believe at the time. You know those are things, you know that those those were that's as good as it would have gotten in any of the last five years when NC, when Iowa State went to the NCAA tournament. But I think what's troubling is you score in the 50s in overtime against Cincinnati at home. You really get manhandled a little bit at home against West Virginia. Um, you know you lose at home to Kansas rather convincingly. The, you lose at Texas in a game where you're down 17 points to a team that's lost seven of their last nine, that's in last place in the Big 12, um, I, I, and you play terribly offensively for portions of that game. 
So I think while inconsistency is nothing new for this program, I think that this type of inconsistency is is different, and I think it's a little bit more concerning given how low the lows have been. And not just the, the lows, because, you know, like I mentioned before, Iowa State has had its share of setbacks in the last five years, uh, you know, despite having the greatest success in over a five-year history in the history of the program. But I think the lows then were more infrequent infrequent um you know i don't know i'm trying to think what the lowest of the low would have been last year i think they would lost two straight but it felt more competitive it felt more aberrational uh whereas this year the the lows you can kind of see them coming and, and you've seen them come a couple of times and i think it's it's difficult for people to kind of understand the inconsistency here given the the amount of experience on the team the amount of accomplishment on the team and i think that's that's why this has been such a ever-present theme in the discussion around the team, you know, because of those reasons. And I have some theories on the inconsistencies. Um, I'd like, I mean, what, what's your take? I mean, are, are you surprised that a team this experience can be so inconsistent, or do you look at the roster and say, no, this makes sense? I'm very surprised. I mean, you'd think after you beat Kansas on the road for the first time in 12 years, you go down to Texas, a team that's struggled pretty hard, and that's a walk in the park for the team that just beat Kansas the game before. Um, and I think you talk about that core of Matt Thomas, Nazmi Long, and Monte Morris, and there should be a level of concern given that those guys have weathered those up-and-down storms in the Fred Hoiberg era, and then now they, they do what they did against Texas. Like, you can't put it all on them, but the inconsistency is troubling when you have a core of three guys that are pretty – well-known in the Iowa State basketball program. Yeah, and I think, I mean, you lose at Texas, That's that shouldn't be that big a deal. I mean, they've got two McDonald's All-Americans uh, as freshmen starting for them. But I think when, when you look at the roster, and I guess let's just say we can dive right into kind of my thoughts on this, is there's a number of things. One, I don't think this group responds to, I don't want to say success well, but I don't think they – they're at their best when either the, their backs are against the wall or the the stakes are high um, or the, the, the stage is bright. And I think they're at their absolute best when all those things kind of converge. And I think when you look at the Texas game, after you win at Kansas, the stakes get lowered because you're going to have a ma- have to have a major collapse at this point not to make the NCAA tournament. The stage isn't that bright on a Tuesday night in front of a few thousand fans against the league's worst team and so and so that makes things difficult for this group now you can rail against well they shouldn't get complacent they shouldn't have a problem getting up for games that, that's fine you can have that take I'm just telling you what this is what I think the problems are of why these these lulls happen and I think a bigger part is when you look at the roster when you're so three-point dependent there is going to be built-in variance of how you look not only from game to game, but from four-minute segment to four-minute segment because, you know, and I wrote about this a little bit last week, when you're relying on a shot where shooting 35% is good, you're going to have some swings because you're going to miss 65% of your shots and still be good. So if those 65% come bang, 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 you're going to look like crap. If the 35% comes bang, 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 you're going to be like, holy hell, this is the best offensive team since uh, Kevin Durant joined the Warriors. Um, So that's part of it. I think the other part is, and people are going to be sick of hearing about this, but when you have a player like Deontay Burton 
who is so important and plays so many minutes and has such a high usage rate, he is a high-variance player too. And when you are putting that much... And I don't think Iowa State has any other option other than to rely on Deontay Burton for exactly as much as Steve Prohm is. I don't, I don't think this is a Steve Prohm problem. I don't even know if it's a Burton problem at this point. It's just who they are. But when you're relying on a, on a high-variance player like that, you're going to be susceptible to when you're on the downswing to, to having these problems of inconsistency. When you have a guy that takes tough shots, that is turnover-prone, but on the flip side, the things that you know kind of make him high variance, you know, there's two sides of that sword, obviously. So when he's good, he looks amazing, and when he's bad, when you're here's would probably be the best way to put it is that when you're walking on a high wire, you either look really good doing it or you're falling to your death, and that that's kind of how Deontay Burton plays sometimes. He either looks super adept crossing between those two skyscrapers. Or, you know, you're, you're scraping him up with a shovel because it just is so difficult to play the way that he plays with, without, you know, being Kobe Bryant where you can... And even that, like, you look at a player like Kobe Bryant, there was a lot of swings there because you're taking a lot of high, highly difficult shots. Um, so I think that's a big part of it. And how do you mitigate that if you're Steve Prohm? I don't know. I mean, I, th- I think it's certainly fair to question some of the decisions he's made. I mean, last... Tuesday night against Texas, they're two for 11, and he's playing Bowie Young and Nick Weiler-Babb, which I know you probably want a bigger lineup against Texas, but when you're two for 11 and Texas only has like 14 points in you know, 10 minutes, defense is not your biggest problem. It's offense. And to put three non-shooters on the floor that it's totally going to screw up your spacing, you know, that's go- not going to crawl you out of you know, the, the five points in 10 minutes that you've scored, I think that's fair to question why, why that decision was made. But there's only so many, and you know, I, I asked Steve about it, and he said, you know, we're down by 13 points. We got to try something. That's, I don't know that I agree with the decision that he made, but it's hard to argue, you know, with that line of thinking. Like there, there was a rhyme and reason to it. And when you're down 13 points and look terrible, it's not the worst thing in the world to try something out of the box. Um, it's just to me, I think they probably just need to ride the waves of the inconsistency a little bit more. Because like they they took thirty four threes against Kansas, I think they need to trend even more in that direction and just jack threes, um, because they got the guys that can make it. Sometimes that's going to lead you to lose by fifteen points, probably in a game you don't you otherwise would have lost by four. But I think you have to kind of steer into the skid of your personnel at this point, and and that is guys who can shoot, guys that are going to struggle to defend inside, guys that are going to struggle to rebound. I just think you. In the, in the plus minus of everything, you're getting more by going small and shooting threes than kind of trying to jerry-meander things where you get a little bit of rebounding, you get a little bit of defense, and it's just that would be the way that I would go. And I think it's got to be frustrating for Iowa State fans, and it's a little perplexing you know, from the, the, un, the, the neutral observer perspective to see Prom still tinkering so much. Uh, with substitutions and lineups, you know, here we are in the, the now what the second week of February. You'd think they'd have something figured out, and, and a a big part of that problem is that center position, where you're just rotating guys so fast and so furiously. It's probably hard to have a feel for anything. You know, that said, I've been a pretty big proponent of playing Solomon Young more and more, and I think we're going to see that. But I, I watch Young now, and he looks like a player that is hesitant and a step slow. And that could either be 
be because he's a freshman or that could be because he spent the better part of six weeks barely getting off the bench and feels timid and feels unsure of what he's going to do. It could be both. It probably is. I mean, that's the most likely scenario is that it is both. And I just think by not playing him for the last six weeks, Iowa State has probably done itself a disservice because, in my opinion, he's their best big. Now, the reasons Prom has said they don't want that they've been hesitant to play him is defense and um, pick and roll defense in particular. And I mean, again, that's that's hard to argue. I might not agree with the stance that they come down to or question the stance, but it, you know, there there is a reason. Um, it's not just because they're you know rolling dice on their their substitution patterns. So it'll be interesting to see going forward, you know, because, you know, it's not like Young lit it up in his minutes against Texas either. I think he had a few nice moments, but I don't even know if he had a rebound in the game. And that and that's what they need. But you, you watch the first few minutes of that game against Texas, and you got Jared Allen running down the floor and getting two tip dunks in the first five or six minutes, and you just got to scratch your head about how, how do they not have somebody that can run down the floor um, and stick with these rim runners? So... I don't know. I'm I'm kind of rambling at this point, but it's just this Iowa State team has so many intricacies and uh, intriguing things about them that I, it, it's kind of hard to have a coherent theory about them because it's they change so much from day to day. What I'm hearing is you think Iowa State should just go full Grinnell offense? No, not quite. <laughs> not not go uh, Lamelo Ball like uh, they did in uh, in L.A. the other day when he went for 92 points, and I don't think he ever went inside the uh, defensive three point line. Um, I mean, I think I would say I've been saying this for weeks: is like go small, try to figure out your defense, and they've trended that way. But then you get these weird minutes where you've got Holden and Bowie on the floor together, or you've got. Bowie and Young on the floor together who haven't probably played together in two months. And it's just, I just don't know that that's the way for Iowa State to go. Um, and especially when they're so dependent on shot making, I don't think you can take your shooters off the floor uh, with that, to that degree. I just don't think that's a recipe uh, for winning, especially when you've got like a guy like Matt Thomas who despite going 0 for 5 at Kansas is still shooting like, 60% the last four games for three-point range. Um, I, I like the way Donovan Jackson's playing. Uh, Nazmi Trulong's playing well. Monte Morris has been a little inconsistent, oddly enough. I think teams have, I think, you know, they've taken him off the ball a little bit, and I, I don't know that that's playing to his strengths, even if it is trying to save his legs a little bit. But anyway, that's a, a lot of talking to say. I don't know what the hell to make of this team. I mean, it's it's got to be frustrating. And, you know, I wrote this a month ago that they just – I don't even know that they have to be consistent, but if they can just raise the floor on on how they play, which is to say when they're bad, make it less bad than it is now, I think that goes a long way. I mean, they were right in that game against Texas, and it was 10 or 12 minutes of awful offensive basketball. If you can just be below average, you're probably within five or six. Then you go in halftime tied or up a couple, and you probably win that game. But if you're just going to be brutal for 10 or 12 minutes, that – that's going to get you beat on the road, even against the last place team. And, and I don't, maybe the variance that I'm talking about in going small and shooting threes precludes you doing that. And so maybe I'm trying to have it both ways. I don't know. But it's just, if you can get some level of stability where your, your highs are still high, but your lows aren't quite as low, I think this helps, that, that would help this Iowa State team tremendously. Cutting down on the variance would be huge. Um... To go back to one of your points, to Jared Allen tipping dunks, that has to drive Steve Prohm crazy because his whole 
system is he wants his bigs to run the floor on both ends, and his bigs aren't doing that. And there's Jared Allen getting the two tip end dunks. Yeah, I mean it's brutal. It's just and and the, on the first one, nobody stopped the ball. I can't remember which um, guard it was, but he just literally went right down the middle of the floor and went in for a layup. Probably should have just dunked it and made it, but he didn't. And everybody kind of watched the rebound as Jared Allen threw it down through the through the rim. So it's just those are the kind of things that you just scratch your head about with this experienced team. And I don't. This isn't a lazy team. It's not a a team that is nonchalant it's a team that cares a lot about winning it cares a lot about you know personal you know maxing out how good they can be on the floor in the practice gym so it, a lot of it just doesn't add up and i and i i don't know i don't know what more they can do given the again i don't want to call it a limited roster but it's a it's a roster with a narrow path to success uh just given the lack of bigs and the lack of you know they really only have one guy that you that can even kind of put pressure on the rim without the ball, which is Nick Weiler Bab, and they don't really do that kind of stuff with him um, with cutting so much uh, other than in transition. And they don't have really anybody that can, other than Burton, who despite having the physical uh, profile that he has, rarely gets to the line, that, that can put pressure on the rim off the bounce. You know, Monte Morris can a little bit, but when he gets three feet away from the basket and is a six foot ten guy, like that's a that's a high degree of difficulty shot. Uh, you know, where his best play is what we saw against Kansas when he kicked it out to Donovan Jackson for a three-point shot. But if if teams aren't worried about him scoring at the rim, then they don't have to help off three-point shooters as much, uh, especially like a team like Texas or even Kansas to some degree when Landon Lucas is in, and certainly Baylor that has rim protection. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see. They've got uh, Oklahoma on Saturday. Um, I don't know that we need to preview that much. Oklahoma's, you know, Oklahoma, we, they – Obviously had that two-overtime game uh, in Norman last month in which Iowa State was down 19 in the first half and somehow was winning at halftime. Um, it's Again, it's not a must-win. Like th- This game, if Iowa State would not have beaten Kansas last weekend, it's, it would be hard not to view this game as a must-win. But Iowa State's um, margin for error is so much bigger now with that win. Like even that loss at Texas, while I'm sure it's disheartening and disappointing that Iowa State didn't play well, in the grand scheme of things, losing a road game like that in the Big 12 and you're already sitting on six wins, is it's not super damaging unless you, you had designs on a top-five seed, which I think was probably uh, a pretty remote chance just given the level of inconsistency we've seen from this team. But So I think this is a game Iowa State certainly should win, and if they lose it, I think alarm bells will be going off. But when you look at the big picture of thing, they they still have a pretty attractive path to the NCAA tournament, which, you know, you know I've I've written this, I've tweeted, it, and I've gotten some pushback from Iowa State fans about the goal's always been nine and nine or ten and eight, and you know whatever anybody else wants to believe, that's that's the truth. That's been the the focus of this team. Would they be happy to exceed that goal, to exceed expectations? Of course, they're trying to win every game. But I think the the realistic bent and the 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 thinking in a lot of pockets within that program has been get to the nine or ten wins, get to the tournament, and then you know try to you turn on the afterburners and get hot and make a run. And that's you know whether they win or lose on Saturday, that the, the case is because they won that game at Kansas. Um, it's still not that hard to get to that nine or ten wins. So let's transition a little bit here before we take Twitter questions. I think we've been on for like 
18, 19 minutes, and I think I've probably talked for 17 and a half minutes. So now it's Ian's turn. Ian, what uh, big win for the women last weekend at West Virginia. Um, they had a midweek bye, and then they're back at it at Kansas State uh, this weekend. So give us kind of the, the state of Bill Fennelly's team uh, on the women's side of the Sukup basketball complex. Uh, we're looking at 13-10 and 10 overall right now. Um, the... Jeez, were you not ready to talk? You've, been, you've had like 18 minutes to prepare been, for this. I've been waiting to bounce back to you. The win over West Virginia was huge. That was absolutely the best, unquestionably the best Iowa State has looked and has played all season, which is surprising. Uh, West Virginia, a top 25 team, um, with a like we were talking about with the men, a rim protector, uh, one of the top shot blockers in the country, and they just completely shut West Virginia down in the paint, outside the paint. Um, overall, they get Kansas State this week. They beat Kansas State um, at home. They're on the road this week, but they beat them at home. Again, that was another top 25 win, so they're looking to win top 25 road games for the first time in program history, which would be huge for this team because I don't see them making the tournament unless they win out. Uh, they have six games left, one of them against Texas, one against Oklahoma State, uh, teams that have beaten them already. But then they get West Virginia again, they get Kansas again, Kansas State. So there's winnable games in there, but unless they finish, they end the season at 19 and 10 or even 18 and 11 and with a couple wins in the Big 12 tournament, I don't see them making the NCAA tournament right now. Uh, But another huge opportunity against Kansas State, a team they've already beaten, a team that they shot really well against and came away with the win uh, when it looked like they were going to do the fourth quarter thing where they fold. So this will be an intriguing couple weeks for Iowa State women's basketball. Uh, a couple wins, a, a good run here to end the season. They could be in, but I, I just don't see it right now. Are they talking about the NCAA tournament at all, or are they in uh, one game at a time mode? What's you know when that gets brought up in these media availabilities, or you know when you're talking in private, how what's kind of the the team's feeling on the postseason? I, they're still the goal is still the NCAA tournament as it is for every team, and that's what they'll tell you. But they're in one game at a time mode. They have been all season. Uh, they just they talk a lot. The next opportunity, the next practice, the next shot. Uh, a lot of coach speak is like that. But they're really in one game at a time mode. Um, they know if they can string together a couple wins here, that'll be very good for their tournament chances. But they're just looking to knock off uh, number twenty-five Kansas State right now. So even if you know, let's say the NCAA tournament still on the table, even if it's unlikely. So if it's an unlikely event, and you know fans want to take it the one game at a time route with the team, what are the what are the things that people can hone in on, whether to uh, enjoy the season and the remaining games of this team, or to look towards the future? What are what are the kind of the areas or the players, you know, that you know people can try to. F- put their focus on maybe beyond just the final score of these games? Uh, An interesting thing to watch, Bridget Carlton, A, she's elevated her play uh, to an insane level the last couple weeks, but then she's also hit 42 straight free throws, the 18th best all time. She hasn't missed one since December 29th against Oklahoma State. Uh, Jada Buckley had a 43 in a row dating back to last season and this season, but Bridget Carlton, I mean, to not miss a free throw in almost two months uh, is pretty impressive. Uh, the future, I think, is pretty bright. They've got a pretty good recruiting class coming in. Um, Nia Washington has shown uh, in some extended minutes the last couple of games that she's a pretty good backup point guard 
and could see an expanded role next year. Um, what about kind of Shauna Johnson winding down her career? I mean, should people, how much should people appreciate what she's been able to do over now almost a full four years? Uh, she's been an incredible player for Bill Fennelly the last four years. Um, the way she rebounds, the way she scores, she's not the best athlete or the biggest athlete on the floor, uh, but she can rebound with the best of them. She regularly leads both teams in rebounds, or at least Iowa State. Uh, she'll play point forward probably again this week like she did the last time against Kansas State, which worked really, really well for Iowa State because it allowed her to get into the middle of the floor and then either kick out to shooters or she can create for herself. So just to see her finish out her career, I think will be a pretty good thing for Iowa State fans to keep an eye on. All right, now we are going to take some Twitter questions here. The first comes from Nick McVeigh, who asks, this is hard-hitting stuff here. I hope everybody's ready. Um, should pizza be cut into triangles or squares? My take on this is um, if you are a towny bar or restaurant, Really, any bar and you serve pizza, it should be cut into squares. That's that's the mark of a uh, a towny bar. Za. I think it's all crust. Thick crust is triangles, and thin crust is squares. That's fair. That's fair. Um, but I, I I judge on my pizza on whether I got it in a towny bar or not. So um, Eric Borseth asks, how does Prome fix the slow starts in coming out of half? Uh, that's a good question. I think. Uh, I mean, you could tinker with a starting lineup change. I mean, Merle Holden can't stay out of foul trouble, so I just I don't know if you think about swapping Solomon Young in there, maybe put Daryl Bowie back, but I think that's probably the only button to push. I don't know that you give them some rah-rah speech and that's going to change the start. I think, you know, when it, the question asked specifically Prome, I think his only option would either be to, to change the starting lineup or maybe try to script some offense a little bit more, but I think and when it comes to the slow starts, I think it's probably more incumbent on the players to come with a greater sense of urgency and focus uh, right out of the gate. Uh, Matthew DeWitt, our man in Boone, asked the most memorable student section free throw distraction. Um, I'm trying to think. I usually don't pay that close of attention to that when I'm in the arena, but last year I was watching an Arizona State game, and there was two dudes in uh, like those green bodysuits with the horse's heads, that were like jumping on top of each other um, in a, uh, shall we say, provocative way. So that's been the most uh, the most memorable that I can think of. Um, yeah, do you have any? I any was going to say Arizona State, too. They had the curtain of distraction with uh, Michael Phelps coming out. In a... I just saw somebody just texted me that Charlie Day of uh, Always Sunny fame was there this week in, no in, in a green man suit. Huh. So that, that's got to rank pretty high. Stam, Sam Stuvey asks, how worried should Iowa State fans be about making the NCAA tournament? We kind of touched on that earlier. I don't think it's really a concern right now when you're at six wins. Three more does it, and you've got, what, six more games um, with three of them coming at home? Um, so I'm, I, what are they, six, five, so seven more games. So I, I don't think it, it's a super big concern right now. You lose Saturday, and that, that ratches it up a little bit. But then again, you still got – the home games against, uh, who do they got? Oklahoma State and TCU, I mean, plus Baylor, which I don't think you can ch- chalk that up to win. But that's two more games, even if they lose on Saturday, that they should win. Then you just got to go steal one on the road, which, you know, sounds easy, but, or, you know, is difficult. But Iowa State's playing pretty solid on the road for much of this year. Um, 
I don't think I think they're in. I don't think they're going anywhere warm. What does that mean? Oh, I, I saw bracketology. They had them played in Buffalo. Um, yeah, I mean they don't like give oh, I know, preference but... to like nice geographic locales. I, I tried. <laughs> I would have. I would prefer to avoid Buffalo. That sounds difficult to get to. And again, when it comes to this stuff, I don't really care about anything other than convenience uh, for me. Dan Conrad wants to know to paraphrase Marvin Gaye, "What's going on?" We touched on that a little bit. It's the inconsistency. Um, you know. You know. We gave our theories on that, but I think you know now this far into the season, this is kind of who Iowa State is. Can the question will be is when they get into the middle of. Uh, March, can they funnel the good direction and excise the the excess uh, poor play into a single direction that kind of propels them, you know, maybe do a second weekend? Um, then we've got an Ivanka Trump question that we're not going to answer. And uh, Clint Bowen says, how's Simeon Carter? Simeon seems good. Talk to him before uh, most games. Say hello. Um, seems fine. Nice kid. Um not going to play for Iowa State, uh, you know, meaningful minim- minutes this year. I think if, you know, that that ship has sailed, certainly uh, if he hasn't gotten a look yet. John Kirchner wants to know, what do you think of next year's roster, assuming we pick up a Juco forward or two? I mean, next year's going to be a total rebuild when you, you know, flip over the roster with that has, what, six seniors, uh, you know, five of which start, um, four of which have been, you know, a big staple of the last year and a half, if you want to count Burton, and then now almost four years uh, and five, really, and well, not really, but four in, in the, the case of the other three. Uh, Naz didn't play a ton this freshman year or at all, for that matter, but it's uh, it's going to be a totally different team. I mean, I don't even think the, the words NCAA tournament will even, you know, be part of the equation. Um, it'll be about how good is Lindell Wigginton? Is he the point guard of the future? Is he the next pro point prone point guard, um, how good is Terrence Lewis, how good is uh, Darius McNeil, um, you know, what does Solomon Young look like next year, um, you know, can they get a transfer, what's Ray Casango look like, um, you know, it's, it's going to be a year of transition, which is interesting in a year three um, of a coaching regime, but obviously Steve Prohm stepped into a very unique situation, but uh, you know, the roster will be young, it'll be inexperienced, and uh, it'll be interesting to see kind of who steps up to fill the void. You know, will Nick Weiler Babb take a big step forward as, I would assume, probably a starter um, and more of an offensive focal point? You know, can he add three-point shooting to his game? Because I think that'll be an important thing. You know, right now he's sub-30%. So I think the next year's roster has a lot of potential, but not for 2017-18, maybe more for... 1819 maybe even 1920 depending on how uh, you know they fill out this year's class and, and next year's class um let's see I think let's see Ben Weidenhoff wants to know if I will be providing any footwear updates at future games um, as needed and necessary or if I'm bored enough before a game I uh, certainly will Lee wants to know any updates on Jacoby long progress potential for his sophomore year um, I think you know they're the staff still has faith that Jacoby Long can be a, a contributor in the Big 12. You know, I think by all accounts his work ethic is super high, good kid off the court, um, but they just recruited a lot of guards. And obviously this year was always going to be a struggle for him to get on the floor given the amount of experience ahead of him. Um, and I think 
it'll be it could be difficult for him to see the floor next year when you look at the guys that they've recruited and the guys that they've got coming back and a Wyler Babb and a Donovan Jackson. So I don't know exactly what the future for Jacoby Long holds. I think, you know, some of it's up to him and uh, some of it will probably be up to circumstances beyond his control, uh, you know, given, you know, how the uh, roster will be made up next year. It'll be it'll be one of those offseason storylines uh, without a doubt to see, you know, what direction that goes. So with that, we've uh, used enough of your time. Uh, Ian's got to spend the next week thinking of something to say uh, for, for his allotted time next week. Um, so we appreciate you listening. Uh, once again, you can find us uh, wherever you found us today or iTunes, SoundCloud, uh, Stitcher, and all that stuff. We'd appreciate it if you subscribe, rate, recommend us to all your friends, and all that kind of jazz. Until next time, we will uh, catch you later. Mm-hmm.